This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Valley, coming at you with my super-duper esteemed co-host, Andy Bailey. As a couple of pre-pod housekeeping notes, please be sure to rate, subscribe, and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk, whatever you use. iTunes is preferred for us, for our tracking purposes. But if you listen to us, if you like us, just please subscribe, rate, review, let us know that you're listening. You could even leave some some feedback if you have any questions, qualms, or concerns. We embrace it. And also, right now, for the next few days, we will be holding the drawing on Friday, I believe Andy and I decided. If you send us screenshot proof that you have rated, subscribed, and reviewed us on iTunes, the iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. You will be entered to win a free MBA Math t-shirt the designed which you will get to choose and we have some great designs out there right now um we just released a pick your own goat series between a certain king and a certain his airness 
you can check those out. Again, you're going to want to get in on this if you want it for free. It takes no time at all. Just send Andy or I uh, the screenshot proof of rating, reviewing, or subscribing to us on iTunes. I am at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. He is at Andrew D. Bailey. You can also send it to the at Hardwood Knox account, which we also check. Um, now that that is out of the way, we there was some breaking news in the NBA today. There's breaking news in the NBA every day, it, and that's not an exaggeration, but uh, the Grizzlies fired, as first reported by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, they fired head coach David Fisdale, who was not even midway through his second year at the helm. It caught a lot of us by surprise, including Andy and I, who didn't really put him on any sort of hot seat meter when we did in our last podcast the uncomfortable heat index for coaches whose jobs might be on the line if they were coaching a sub 500 team so it definitely was disarming to us um, but we're here to kind of get through that digest it uh, synthesize it and, and see what to make of the Grizzlies and their future and we also have a bunch of questions from you guys for the end of this podcast where we'll hold an impromptu mailbag to make up for our holiday weekend sabbatical, during which I was battling the flu and Andy was going hunting for the perfect Christmas tree. All that being said, how are you doing today, Andy? I'm doing good. Better um, than Fizzy? Yeah, probably better than Fizdale, although he's still getting paid next year's salary, so he's he's probably not. Uh, he's got a little consolation prize there. Oh, I did not I... find the perfect Christmas tree, no. by the way. Did you eat we... a bunch of cinnamon buns and chili, though? We had a lot of cinnamon rolls in Chile. Uh, there was no snow in the mountains. It's It's been like unseasonably warm. We did get a Christmas tree, and then one of my sisters-in-law accidentally cut it up thinking it was for pine boughs for her. And then what? we got another one. <laughs> Everybody in my family does pine boughs, too. They like make centerpieces. It gets very festive around here, Dan. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me. I'm not familiar with the Wyoming <laughs> holiday traditions. Very festive. But we got another one right before we left, and then when we we hauled that thing into our apartment, it was like two times too big. Um, so my wife just wound up getting one from a lot, and it actually looks pretty good. So maybe the lesson <laughs> – I was talking to my dad. Maybe the lesson of this year's tree hunt is just do like a chili and cinnamon rolls picnic somewhere and then go buy trees at a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We've come back with a lot of Charlie Brown trees over the last couple of years. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, David Fisdale got the axe today. I think we both put him at either a one or a zero on the hot seat, like one to ten meter in that last podcast. Um, I was – I told you this right when the news broke. Um, even though I had him at a zero or one or whatever I had him on, for the the hot seat podcast that we did, mm-hmm. when I read the the AP story uh, after their loss last night, which I think was their eighth straight, um, and I and I think you just told me before the pod that they've they've won like two of their last eleven games, two and eleven uh, over their last thirteen. Oh, so even worse. Uh, the quotes coming out of that locker room after last night's game got me thinking. I mean, Marcus was benched in the fourth quarter. He sounded very unhappy about it. And I remembered our season preview podcast on the Grizzlies before the season even started with uh, Fletch, a.k.a. Beauregard Jones. Um, he talked to me quite a bit about how those two just kind of clashed, not just basketball-wise, but they clashed personally last year. 
And so as I read that story last night and I, I thought about that preview pod I did, um, I mean, I wasn't expecting a tweet saying he was getting fired, but when I saw it today, I just, it just kind of made sense to me. And I, I don't think this is as much an indictment on his coaching ability and what he was doing basketball wise as it is on just he, him and Gasol just were not meshing. Gasol had his best season ever under Fizdale yeah. last year. It's just, that's what just like, I don't know, like that was just so bizarre to me. And the comments, they seemed almost out of character for Gasol, but I guess, it, you know, if they're having problems behind the scenes, stuff like that kind of boils over. I, I do almost wonder if this is a situation where, one, are we even sure that Gasol was consulted about it? I haven't read anything, and maybe I just haven't looked deep enough. Uh, to see that he was, or could it be more of a circumstance where Gasol kind of realizes, holy shit, I have this kind of power where like my words carry this yeah. weight. Uh, it's, I, I don't know, but it's, it, I mean, I just want to read the quote that I saw and it came from Peter Edmiston. Um, he's at the commercial appeal. He's over there. And Gasol sa- said, if I start venting, that would be counterproductive. But at the end of the day, I'm as competitive as anybody. I hate not playing. That's what I value most. If I'm not out there, I'm not valued. I'm sure they knew that would hurt me the most. I mean, anyone wouldn't like it, right? You don't put Mike back in. I'm sure they wouldn't do it to Mike. And I'm assuming he's referring to Mike Conley. I don't know. It's just the way it is. You have to deal with it. But I'm not just going to lay down and take it. So yeah, that's quite a that's that's quite a quote to like bring Mike Conley into it to say that he's not going to lay down and take it. Uh, it. I was honestly just like taken aback. It, I like, I was, I was just astounded and maybe that should have been like something like we read it and maybe we kind of saw Fizdale seat getting hotter, but that never once really just cropped into my mind. I just assumed that, Oh wow, maybe they'll work it out. Or I, I, it was a red flag, but at the same time, I didn't think anything crazy was going to happen because you look at the Grizzlies situation. They don't really have trade assets aside from Gasol or Conley, and those guys at their price points aren't players that you can trade at to amass all these relaunch assets. Like you're not gonna maybe you get a draft pick or a high end prospect. You're not gonna get a collection of all these things when they're both on the wrong side of thirty and making so much money. Uh, and obviously then the easiest thing to change would be firing the coach, as I pointed out on Twitter today, but I just didn't I Fisdale was not even through his second season. He had tried to modernize the Grizzlies offense and he's dealt with a lot of injuries this season. We were talking about that before the pod, and it doesn't help that whether or not Conley was injured with the Achilles problems like this entire season, he wasn't playing up to snuff for much of the year. Gasol hasn't been playing well by his own standards, and it's just tough for me to to blame the coach for this, especially when you saw like some kind of quasi-breakout candidates. Tyreek Evans is still playing really good basketball overall. No one saw Dylan yep. Brooks coming uh, the bench was super awesome until they had to start kind of picking it apart because of the injuries and thrust some of these guys into the starting lineup so uh, this just you know lebron james and Dwayne wade tweeted some version of this saying that it seems like fizdale's the fall guy i don't know if i would go that far but it just seems that the grizzlies reached a crossroads or a point where they said we need to pivot and literally if unless you plan on tearing this thing down the only thing they could pivot from is the head coach, and that looks like the decision they opted to make. Yep. Um, speaking in turn, like you mentioned, what he what he had done for Mark Gasol, at least on the basketball court, and this was one of the reasons I was kind of surprised when Fletch was talking about this on the preseason podcast. 
um, about those two not getting along. In in year one with Fisdale last season, Gasol had a career high in points, 19 and a half, career high in assists, 4.6 4. Um, a game. And in the first however many years, like eight years, Gasol hit 12 threes. Last year he hit 104. Um, his so like his his entire offensive game had just expanded in this huge way last year under Fisdale, and I'm not. It, it might be better if I if I just ask Beauregard or Fletcher, whatever you want to call him, um, straight up, like what was the issue between these two? You just look at the numbers. Um, it looks like he was great for Gasol. Uh, the the thing about him coaching wise, and like I said in my my first sort of spiel on this was I think this is more to do with that relationship between those two Mm -hmm. than it has to do with his actual coaching ability. When I was just kind of digging around um, for Grizzly stats this morning, and this was before the news even broke, um, I came across, and I don't have the tweet open up now, but I think I can kind of remember. Um, I do have it open, so I'm going to know if you remember it or not. Okay, that's good. (laughs) The Grizzlies' net rating is 13 points worse when Gasol is on the floor. So there, I think they were a minus 4.9 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor, and they're plus 8.1 when he's on the bench. Um, but when he played, I think he had like just over 100 minutes with Tyreek Evans and Chandler Parsons, who've arguably, arguably been the Grizzlies' two best players this season. That three-man lineup is plus 10. 100 possessions so when I saw that this morning I thought why isn't he playing Mark Gasol with his best players I get that that bench mob together was just awesome and maybe he didn't want to break up the chemistry that that group had together but I I think at some point you have to find a way to get your three or four best players on the floor at the same time if you want to be successful I get that but here's what I kind of come back to so over there last 13 games they're 2 and 11 do you want to take a guess as to how 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 their most used lineup so take a guess how many games has their most used lineup during that span appeared in in 13 games yeah um I'll, I'll say like their most used five man lineup i'll say seven five. Oh. It's play, and it's played 65 minutes, and that five-man unit is Dylan Brooks, Mario Chalmers, Marcus Soldier, Michael Green, Chandler Parsons. Offensive rating of 97.8, terrible. Defensive rating of 102.1, that's pretty good. You're getting outscored by 4.3 points per 100 possessions then. What are you supposed to do with that type of personnel, though, is my question. And we could talk about maybe Gasol should have played more minutes with Tyreek Evans. Yeah, I was going to say, why not play Evans in that lineup? He's been your best player this year. But then you're depleting the bench. And that was part of your success early on was that you're supposed to be deeper than advertised. And you've already had a – you moved Dylan Brooks into the starting lineup. You moved Chandler Parsons into the starting lineup. You moved Mario Chalmers into the starting lineup. And none of those guys are, are really players who can lead a bench unit on their own. I get the thought of, hey, let's play our best five players at once. But one, I'm not sure you want to necessarily tinker with what's working for Tyreek Evans at this point in his career, but also David Fisdale comes from that kind of Eric Spolstra coaching tree where he's not necessarily about playing his five best players right off the bat 
you want yeah. to kind of spread them out and make sure that you're going to have this more balanced approach. Yes, he showed a willingness to use all bench units at the beginning of the season when the Grizzlies were more healthy, but I, I just, I, it's tough for me to fault him with his lineup distribution when so many guys were injured at different points. You, you really only just got Jamichael Green back. Ben McLemore is only recently healthy. Wayne Selden um, hasn't really been healthy at all. This year, Brandon Wright is now injured. And again, Traylon Parsons is injured now too. Like he had the tightness in his right knee and they yeah. don't even know if he's going to play against the Spurs this week. So it's really tough for me to fault him because he hasn't basically had a full strength roster at all this year. And that leads me to believe more so that this, like you said, was about Marcus Gasol and his relationship or lack thereof with him. I'm not sure that's, like an okay approach to take with a 33-year-old Marcus All. Like that's yeah. not the guy that you should be basing these decisions off. That did he also have a rocky relationship with Mike Conley because then that kind of makes sense, but Mike Conley also had a career year last year. He should have been in the All-Star game. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question because my first reaction uh when I saw Woj's tweet was it, it just sort of felt like this was management siding with Gasol over uh Fisdale. Because last that that was another thing I was wondering about last night, and I think I even tweeted this was at what point did they start thinking about Marcus trades? I mean, that seemed like the logical move if it continued to snowball out of control. Maybe you see what you can get for Gasol or Conley or both of them, and just kickstart a rebuild. And from everything I heard about Fizdale in Miami, um, he was this like players' coach, the the guy that all the Heatles loved, you know. So, I mean, he seems like he would fit a rebuild pretty well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. It seems like they chose the 33-year-old <laughs> center, which, like you just said, that's that seems like kind of an odd choice. And yet, it well, could it also be the, the only choice? Or maybe it's just a harbinger that they refuse to rebuild, and perhaps that's something they disagreed with, but maybe the front office and Fisdale, yeah. that is, because... If you look at the Grizzlies' books, they have over a, about a hundred million dollars in guaranteed salary next year. And I, you know, if you, I think you just need to include the non-guaranteed salaries of Harrison and Wade Selden in that, because you're not going to get replacement level players for them at that price point. So they're looking at more than a hundred three million dollars in guaranteed salary, operating over the cap right off the bat, barring some kind of salary dump. And Tyreek Evans, James Ennis. Mario Chalmers, those guys are all free agents. And the Tyreek Evans one is going to sting because you signed him with the biannual exception and you don't have his bird rights. You would have to use the mid-level exception, whatever version you have of it, whether it's operating as a taxpayer. We'll assume that they wouldn't do that because the roster isn't really good enough to dip into it. So are you going to use the non-taxpayers mid-level or, or again, whatever mid-level exception you have? to go after Tyreek Evans and kind of strap yourself in more. And if you look forward to 2019-2020, if you include their qualifying offers for guys like Harrison and Davis and and Selden, if they pick up the team option on Yvonne Rabb and you, you have Dylan Brooks on there, they, they could have $95.8 million on the books already. That's if Gasol doesn't opt out, which I don't think he will at that point. He's slated to make $25.6 million. So they're not, unless some things break right, they're not going to have cap space until to the summer of 2020. And maybe they get there at the summer of 2019, but you still have almost $60 million tied to Mike Cunley and Chandler Parsons 
into 2019-2020. And again, that's only if Gasol opts out. So their situation isn't one of admirable flexibility or even like semi-reasonable flexibility. Who are they supposed to trade? What moves are they supposed to make? At this juncture, it is kind of we're doubled down on this core and hope that a coaching change kind of incites some sort of reinvention or we're going to have to opt for the full tilt rebuild. And this seems very obviously aimed at, hey, we're not rebuilding, so, so Fisdale's going to go. And maybe he wanted to rebuild, or uh, I don't know. Maybe just it was just the Gasol thing. I don't personally I, – I don't like the move, but I'm also not going to say that Fisdale's the coach that you should pick over a guy like Marc Gasol, even given his age. I, it's so much harder to find a franchise star than it is a coach. But could they have worked harder to find a middle ground or could the Grizzlies have kind of just delved deeper and looked into rebuilding? Because that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for them right now. They're in danger of not making the playoffs anyway. And I don't think a coaching change with J.B. Bickerstaff, I don't, that's not going to like just spur this turnaround. I find it hard to believe that everyone in the locker room anyway kind of tuned out Fisdale already. We talk about the danger that lies with a coach losing his voice among the players. Fisdale hasn't been there long enough to grow stale and maybe he's too demanding and maybe some players grew tired of it uh, he d- he does again come from that heat culture that was kind of exhaustive when it comes to conditioning and demanding perfection but it's just hard for me to believe that this had anything more to do than the, with the Grizzlies refusal to rebuild and as a result placing so much weight in how Marcus Gasol feels yeah I don't know I agree with you it seems like it would be kind of hard for Memphis to rebuild right now. And I, um, Matt Moore of CBS was talking about this last night too. I think it was last night about how that that's just not really a team that's in a position to blow it out, blow it up on a whim too. Like it's a small market. Um, you know, would they be able to sell that sort of a vision to fans and to advertisers in the area? It would be tough. Um, and just sort of the, the, the immediacy of this firing, makes me think that there's maybe there is something extra going on behind the scenes that that we just don't know about. Um, you mentioned an idea for for what may be next for Fisdale before we started recording, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, you want to share that that little nugget with everyone? Oh, it, this was just purely unsubstantiated guesstimate on my part. I'm sure he'll have his pick of the coaching litter in the summer. If he lasts that long, assuming he doesn't latch on to the Heat's assistant coaching staff again or or something, I don't Mm -hmm. know what he's going to end up doing. I could see him ending up with the Clippers, who seem to be rapidly progressing toward that, you know, crap or get off the pot point. They're going to have to decide to either continue with this core or really tear it down. And, And I think you look at it, yes, Blake Griffin isn't the ideal age to start rebuilding with, but DeAndre Jordan's going to turn 30 in July and probably be a free agent if he opts out of his contract. I don't know that you can invest any more financially in this one-two punch or this nucleus at all. I don't think Doc Rivers is going to be long for Los Angeles, particularly if they make it clear that they want to rebuild. It might just be a mutual parting of the ways. And I think that he'd be a great fit basically for any team that either wants to start a rebuild or is already kind of in the early stages of a rebuild. Maybe Phoenix looks at him over the summer. Maybe they look at him now. Phoenix. Phoenix is an interesting one. I don't know why I hadn't thought of that. They've been the Suns have been playing like surprisingly well for for Jay Triano. I've, they have been pretty feisty, yeah. So, like, but I could have something. I don't know. Just my gut tells me that 
there's a, a better than significant chance that he'll end up coaching the Clippers. And that's just, again, pure unsubstantiated guesswork. So uh, that's just what my musings were because I, I do think if the Clippers, we, we both think the Clippers at this point uh, kind of need to rebuild. Like it doesn't, I mean, unless you get Daniel Gallinari back in the next, let's say, week or two and you really just start rattling off victories, but you you already lost Patrick Beverly. I just yeah, don't know. Yeah, losing Beverly I think is, is just massive. Like it's just over. Austin Rivers is your yeah. point guard now. That's And like that's a problem. So... And I honestly can't remember the last time. I mean, I've, I've the shakeup needs to happen at the top with that team. I can't remember the last time I saw a Doc Rivers team and thought that's a really well coached team. Like maybe all the way back to the 2007 Celtics. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there, there's never there's not really anything that pops off the page if you look at his coaching resume. So I think that's a really interesting spot. You mentioned the Suns. I think that's interesting, and I agree with you. I I, I feel like. And I already mentioned this earlier. He, his reputation before this stint with Memphis was like he was the player's coach, um, and I think that's really good for a young team. And if he can instill some of that sort of Miami Heat accountability and culture type stuff too with a young team, um, that just that all seems to fit together pretty well. I I'm I'm tr- is there any other teams that I guess you could see him kind of ending up with? We don't know. Who, you know who'd be really he'd be really um, interesting for. If the Bucks just ditch Jason Kidd at season's end, yeah, that would be interesting. That's not really a rebuilding Jason team. It's but... one that the Bucks. I don't. I don't know how the Bucks front office feels about him, but the Milwaukee media and fans are sure ready to move on. I have not noticed that from the media, but I've definitely seen the fans on Twitter. I should uh, say, kids. I maybe maybe I should say like um, bloggers. I, I haven't really seen beat writers talk about it. I've certainly seen it from like SB Nation and and stuff like that. So the sexy bloggers take is that Jason Kidd shouldn't be coaching the Bucks. <laughs> yes, and the bloggers are definitely sexier. <laughs> uh, I, and so for the Grizzlies, I I guess getting rid of Fisdale kind of signals that they're not going to blow it up. I if yeah, that's what I thought when I saw it was this. Like I said earlier, this just seems like a decision to go with Gasol, but. What would we're talking? Let's fast forward two months down the line to January, or even a month and a half, like where we're kind of nearing the trade deadline, and they still kind of haven't come out come out of it. They're hovering five, seven games below five hundred outside the Western Conference's playoff picture. Do you consider blowing it up then, or is there just not a feasible path to blowing it up in any worthwhile fashion, and they're basically just stuck uh, in this? kind of limbo where they have to hope that this aging core, this one-two punch of Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol both stays healthy and is able to kind of just conjure up some magic or, or something like that because it's really difficult to come up with any kind of trades for either of those two. I don't know where you're sending Mike Conley and I, I don't know where you're, you're sending Marcus Gasol. There just doesn't seem to be a, a patented destination or go-to destination for either of them. I know a lot of people like to name Boston for Gasol, but he doesn't help their defensive rebounding, nor do they need help defensive rebounding this season. You have Al Horford, who's playing out of his mind. They already have um, the NBA's best defense. I don't I don't know how he helps them. He certainly doesn't help them beat the Warriors because he's not one of those like-sized players who can switch across all these positions. And Mike Conley could be interesting in – on a couple different teams, I, I look at 
the Orlando Magic would, would be kind of cool to see him on. The Bucks would have been a good fit before they got Eric Bledsoe. Uh, I wonder if Minnesota, maybe mid-year, would be willing to pivot from Jeff Teague into a guy like Conley, even though he's a little bit older. But some of his best fits, and uh, I mean, Orlando is an example, that's a rebuilding team who really shouldn't be maxing out a point guard on the wrong side of 30. And that that's where things get weird. I mean, maybe the Nuggets for Mike Conley, but then matching salary, maybe it doesn't become too much of a nightmare because the, the Nuggets have some kind of nice salary fodder. You can build a, an offer um, that gets there with picks and Wilson Chandler and maybe Kenneth Reed, or maybe it's just Kenneth Reed and then um, some more prospects that help add up to the salary. I, I don't know how you get there, and I don't know what team should be willing to take a chance on Mike Conley when he has – Excuse me, when he still has three years on his contract after this one, and he's already dealing with Achilles problems. The, the dude is a warrior. He like had fractures in his back last year and came back within a couple weeks and just shattered his timeline for return. But it's just it's so difficult because I don't know what, even if you find a team that it, it makes sense to send them to, what are you getting back for them? And to, right off the bat, the Cavaliers aren't giving up the Nets pick for Marcus All. It's just not happening. Like the Grizzlies have to take on all of their shit salary, like J.R. Smith and Amon Shumpert and like whatever else, that whoever else they want to get rid of. So I, I, I'm really just struggling here. I'm wondering if you've identified any teams or like prospective packages that you could kind of see. I haven't. Um, like I don't know if I said this earlier, but. I, I would probably at least be entertaining offers for either of those guys right now. Like you said, there there doesn't seem to be like a surefire fit mm-hmm. out there at the moment. But if you can get any sort of future assets for them, I would think about it. I, I get why it's maybe more difficult for a small market team to blow it up and rebuild. Um, I, I think the points made by Matt Moore and others over the last couple of days are very valid. Um, but I've always been one who just uh, – that's an approach I – I can get behind with just about any team. It just makes sense to me um, to start young and to build a nucleus that's all about the same age. Um, that all makes sense to me. And I think it's it's clear that this team, um, not only are they not title contenders, it, it's hard to see them even making the playoffs at this point. And do you want to do you want to continue to push forward to be like a borderline playoff team with maybe two or three young guys who are long shots at best? Like Dylan Brooks is solid. Wayne Selden is solid. Um, what what sort of high end or, or ceiling do those guys have? Right. Um, I think you're better off if if you can to find some sort of real asset. Now it's interesting that you mentioned the Cavaliers. Um, stop me if you don't want to jump into this portion of the podcast. But okay, stop. it would be a perfect. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> It'd be a perfect segue because. We actually have a question from Ramos, uh, at Eric underscore Ramos 10. Um, and he says, how long until we see Gasol and Conley traded to Cleveland, and what will the package be? And, and Conley. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe he's a little tongue-in-cheek there, and he's certainly shooting for the moon. But that that's one that's come up, too. I've seen a lot of Boston stuff, like you mentioned. I've also seen a lot of Cleveland talk over the last few days. I'm I'm actually kind of torn on whether or not I would use the Nets pick to go after either one of those guys. Um, I would not. Do they? I think the Cavaliers' question has to be: Do they help you beat the Warriors? And the answer is no. What? Yeah. I was going to say would Conley, but you've got Isaiah Thomas coming back in a couple months, and 
shorter. The other thing, yeah. I was going to say that, um, you know, I thought this basically since the rumblings, or basically since they made that trade to get the Nets pick, because the rumblings about LeBron leaving were happening even before then. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as they got that next pick, I thought, okay, now they have something they can kind of look forward to in case LeBron spurns them. Um, I, I talked about this a day or two ago on Twitter, and Jesse Blanchard, the editor of uh, B-Ball Breakdown, said I would do whatever, like I would go all in for a title shot as long as I have LeBron James, which I, I get that side of the argument too, but I, I want some kind of a contingency. If it if it feels like LeBron's going to leave, I, I I would love to have like a Luka Doncic, Ante Zizic, Jetty Osman all-Euro future. Um <laughs> And you're, you're not getting that if you give up the Nets pick or, or whoever else you want to go after. Marvin Bagley looks ridiculous right now. Um, DeAndre Ayton looks good. Maybe maybe if the Nets are better than expected, now Michael Porter slips a few spots because of his back injury, and maybe you get a number one talent at like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a lot of interesting things you can do with that Nets pick. So I think I lean towards keeping it too, and it sounds like you are as well. Yeah, uh, it's just like I, I just I don't understand why or – you short of getting you have to get like a star or a bunch of impact players in return and they should probably all be on the right side of 30 uh one thing i was kind of thinking for the nets pick and i i think you only do it if you're like even kind of sort of you have to be like totally certain that lebron is coming back but what if you gave up shumpert fry chetty osman and the nets pick for Kemba Walker and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. The Hornets are just deciding to hit I mean, I would detonate. So you have Kemba and Isaiah Thomas now? Well, Isaiah is going to be a free agent after this year, so I understand that I that's guess that that's kind of redundant. That's a good point. Um, you could include – I don't know how they would feel about Nicholas Batum, but you could probably work some like major blockbuster and include Nicholas Batum in this while you're also like getting off. Um, J.R. Smith's salary and maybe Isaiah Thomas to expand it. But that uh, to me, that would be the kind of deal that you would need to chase with the Nets pick is that Kemba Walker— Is Charlotte—okay, go ahead. Is Kemba Walker is an underrated defender. Michael Gilchrist is is in that same vein as Jay Crowder defensively where, where they can switch a bunch. And if you play those two with LeBron James, yes, MKG's absence of a jumper hurts you, but that defensive trio is is pretty badass, if I might say. Uh, and you yeah, put that would be solid. You put them with Kemba, who's again underrated as uh, defensively at the one. That'd be interesting. But I think that's the type of splashy deal you would need to chase. And I don't think Marcus All fulfills that. And I do have a Marcus All trade to run by you, but I'd like to. I want to finish up this this mailbag question. I'm curious to see if you have what would be an example, like player or impact type of deal you would could see the Cavs even giving up for the Nets pick. Because I think there's or- logic in what you pointed out. Like as long as you have LeBron James. Uh, you 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 should be all in. Like they can't. If you're going to operate under the assumption that LeBron James is leaving, you're not going to win the title because you're going to play everything so close to the hip. I don't know. Like I said, I would probably keep the pick. Um, I don't mind Mark Gasol there. I think maybe he could. I think they could sort of beat the Warriors up in a series the way that the the Grizzlies have a little mm-hmm. bit in years past. Um, I mean. That would certainly be a, a bludgeoning front court. LeBron James and Marcus Saul, my goodness. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really think. And the other thing I was thinking about while you were talking is how many, how many games has Cleveland now won in a row? Like seven or eight? Eight, yeah. 
suddenly they're playing really well. So maybe maybe the whole discussion is kind of moot. Maybe all of a sudden they don't need um, a trade as much as we thought a week or two ago. And if Isaiah Thomas is like 90% of what he was last year, I mean, imagine having that in place of Derrick Rose and Jose Calderon. Maybe Cleveland really just doesn't need something like Marc Gasol. No, I, I, I'm absolutely in agreement with you, and they certainly don't need a trade to get back to the NBA Finals. You would only make a trade if you were trying yeah, to really move the needle yeah. against the Warriors. Um, one uh, team I kind of did think ahead. as a, a nice dark horse for Gasol would be the Toronto Raptors. Um, if you could build a package, and the Grizzlies, it's tough because the Raptors hard-capped themselves when they signed C.J. Miles. So there's it. It would basically have to be a lopsided deal, um, where the Grizzlies are going to have to open up roster spots at the end of it, or they can make subsequent trades that involve a third team. But what if you gave up uh, Jonas Valanciunas, OG Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam for and a second round pick in 2019 for Marcus Gasol? The Grizzlies, uh, excuse me, the they don't get like a future first round pick. I mean, you could include one, but it's not going to be until 2020 at the earliest because Toronto owes its first rounder this year to Brooklyn. And Ananobi looks really good. Seems like he should eventually be able to match up with all different types of wings. It also seems like he's a better shooter than advertised. And I don't necessarily think that he's someone the Raptors want to give up, but you just committed to Norman Powell. You do have CJ miles. Um, maybe the Bruno Caboclo thing works out eventually, but I'm just, you know, you kind of have... That's like, I was going to say, that's a pretty interesting deal, but keep going. Especially for the Grizzlies, because Siakam has played some three this year, and I'm not saying that's necessarily sustainable, but he but he has some range on the offensive end. He's a little bit more switchy on defense, and Gasol and Ibaka work in the front court. If you're not going to play Ibaka at the five, you want him next to a guy like Marc Gasol. He's going to stretch the floor a little bit more than Jonas Valanciunas, and both those guys together probably end up being plus rim protectors. So uh, that would be something that interests me. It's, of course, I don't know I, I don't know the Raptors. It, I'm, I think it kind of diminishes their defensive switchability, but th- that would be, to me, that would be kind of an intriguing destination for him. You're getting off Valanciunas' salary. The Grizzlies are getting a guy who's still capable at the five, though, and is cheaper. Um, like seven years younger too. Yep, and you still have Pirtle, and you know, you know, Bebe. He's going to be—is he restricted free agent this year? So you don't necessarily have to reinvest in him. Then it would just be that would be an interesting destination, or maybe the frameworks there. Maybe it's built around another future pick instead of uh, Siakam, because I'm assuming they're going to want Adenobi just because of the way the league's going, and, and there'd be wings. But I'd consider it if I was the Raptors for sure, and I'd consider it if I were the Grizzlies for sure. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it right after you threw the pieces out, and I, that was a deal that I, I think it makes sense for both sides. One what team that, that I thought of when everything um, first broke was uh, I've always wanted to see the Gasol brothers together. I just don't think the Spurs have anything they could send. Before the extension for Lamarcus Aldridge, it would have been interesting to just build a deal around those two. <laughs> yeah, that would have been cool for sure. I mean, the t- the Tony Parker expiring could could help make it work, but there's absolutely no way the Spurs ever trade Tony Parker. No, it's just they wouldn't do that. Uh, should we move on to another mailback question? Yeah, I think that kind of uh, – well, I, I guess let, let's kind of put a bow on the Grizzlies. Do you think – I had them penciled in as a playoff team, and then I kind of doubled down on the last podcast and said they're going to turn things around and still be a playoff team. 
And then after that, I think I wrote about how there's going to be a playoff team as well. Do you think they're going to be a playoff team? Do you think this incites some change? Do you think it's just going to be organic improvement as they get healthy? Or are they kind of like, are they just done this year? I think I'm out. Um, I was out on them before the season. I came back on in our sustainability pod. And and I think the last time we talked about it, I was wavering again. But uh, I'm it's hard for, for me to see a way back for them at this point. I, I don't know. I, I'm not ready to go out on them. <laughs> You're not ready to give up yet. They're only a game I, and a half out of the playoffs and you just, uh, look that's at a good point. Yeah. The, the nuggets, Paul Millsap done for three months. They have the six seed. I don't right think now. they're going to be, they're going to be fine. with him. That's okay. I don't trust the Timberwolves at all. I just don't trust them. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, you can't really trust OKC right now either. Uh, I trust them more. I don't trust the Lakers who are ahead of them. The Clippers, I don't think you could trust with Beverly Dunn. Teodosic isn't playing right now. Danilo Gallinari is still injured. Utah is still all over the place, right. too. The Pelicans, maybe, I, I guess you can trust at this point, but they're 11-9, and nine, and the Anthony Davis-DeMarcus Cousins pairing, it's still kind of a net plus, but it almost seems like they're coming back down. They're not slaughtering opponents with both of them on the floor anymore, and they've yet to find lineups that work really and consistently over protracted periods when one or both of them are on the bench. So I'm not ready to go there. I'm going to – I'll head. I'll move off my guarantee because that's what I do. I, I reverse my, <laughs> my flood predictions. But I'm not ready to count them out yet, and I don't think it's necessarily going to have to do with the coaching uh, beyond the fact that Gasol just might be happier playing for Bickerstaff or whomever the Grizzlies would elect uh, to Yeah, that could be too. So, but I think once Conley gets healthy, assuming he does, I, I'm. I think I'll still. I'm going to stay on the postseason bandwagon for now. If you're going to tell me that Conley's going to miss a couple months, then I, then I'll get off it. But I'm not ready to to abandon ship just yet. I like it. I like the optimism. Um, we've got a question from Sham Sham God at S H A M S H A M M G O D. He asked us this. Uh, I think it was in our last pod, but uh, he he wants to. He wants an update, basically. Um, are we are we buying in on Andre Drummond's free throws yet? So, and I think last time I said no, you said yes. I think he went. I think he went eight of ten tonight, and he's shooting over sixty percent still. You, can you just read off uh, Andre Drummond's line from, from tonight, tonight, please? Yeah. So, <laughs> this is that tonight's game was the most I've watched the Pistons, and I thought this was a, a question worth reading because. I just want to talk about Andre Drummond. <laughs> I've been I've been box score watching Detroit for most most of this season. I will admit he looks ridiculous. I watched him tonight. Um, the numbers have been just off the charts. He's he's posting a career high rebounding percentage, a career high assist percentage, and he's almost tripling his previous career high for that. Um, he's doubling his previous career high in box plus minus tonight. Um, he had 26 points, 22 rebounds, six assists, four steals, six of eight from the free throw line. All of this in Boston and in a win over the league leading before tonight Celtics. Um, he's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm in on the free throws in answer to Sham's question. Um, I actually paid like pretty close attention to how he was shooting them tonight. And it does look different. There's, they tweaked something about his approach um, over the summer, and it, it's obviously working. Uh, his, his percentage is going to go up even 
uh, after tonight's performance. So I'm in on that. And more importantly, I'm in on Andre Drummond generally. I, he's he's arguably been uh, – where would you put him? He's like a top three center right now. I, uh, who, who's been better? Cousins? Um, the fact that we can't put Chris Dobbs in the center position makes me want to cry, <laughs> but keep going. That is annoying. Um, I'll still say, I'll still put Jokic in the conversation. I mean, the 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 thing is, he's like he's in the conversation for like a top three to five center this this season. Yeah, I abandoned ship on Andre Drummond, but I did note that I thought his free throw percentage was for real uh, when we did the the last mailbag podcast, and and I'm still there. My whole thing was that Stan Van Gundy was bragging about it too much for it not to be true, and that him <laughs> saying he hopes teams foul Andre Drummond is which a, a real risky proposition. <laughs> Boston did it tonight, and uh, the Pistons broadcast said this is the first time someone's done the hack of DeAndre um, strategy this season, and he hit them both. Yeah, I so it's I'm I'm I mean if he's going to shoot that, over sixty percent from the foul line, and I think he I think he'll hover around there if not be better. That they're going to be that he's you can just keep him on the floor, and that's going to make yeah the that Pistons makes a more, huge difference. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm I'm torn. Like I'm I'm not maybe jumping off of his bandwagon was premature, and I guess we could say it's obviously premature. But we're 18 games into the season. The Pistons have been a revelation overall. He's been more aggressive on defense too, which I've liked. Um, it's kind of translated into some weird rim protection though. Opponents are shooting 63.3 percent against him at the rim. That was entering the game against the Celtics tonight. That's, yeah, that's not great. No, um, especially when he's touted as like this shot-blocking fiend, but he's not blocking shots in volume like anymore. He's 1.3 blocks per 36 minutes, I believe, which with last season basically ties his career low. And the way the game's going, teams are going to try and pull him away from the basket. And again, I think the, the Pistons have finally forced him or convinced him to be a little bit more aggressive when jumping pick and rolls and just kind of coming away from – the restricted area. I don't necessarily know how I how I feel about it, though. I don't. I don't think that. I don't know. I don't think that he's there as like this DeAndre Jordan like center or even Rudy Gobert in the sense that he's still using his length or or footwork to kind of work well in space. But he does have the physical tools to get there, and if he's able to improve as a free throw shooter uh, like this, so deep into his career, if he's kind of able to make some. Uh, wholesale changes on the offensive end where he's not burning through as many post-ups and is satisfied screening and running towards the rim more. Uh, I guess there's kind of hope for him to just continue to round out his game and be one of those billboards for how more traditional centers can not only survive but thrive in today's space-drunk NBA. So here's my last thing on this before we move on to another question. The the reason I'm buying in on Drummond stock, I think the main reason for me is over his first four seasons, he averaged 0.7 assists per 36 minutes. Um, last year, he averaged 1.3. This year, he has skyrocketed up to 3.7. And like I said, he had six tonight. Um, and I think that's what separates him from a guy like DeAndre Jordan and and even Rudy Gobert at this point. I love passing centers. It's it's one of my one of my favorite things to watch in the NBA. This is an insight into why I love Nikola Jokic so much. If, if people are wondering. Um, I just think it makes such a defense or such a difference for your offense if you have five guys who know how to pass the ball and have the awareness to find the open man. Um, and I think it's I think it's worked wonders for the Pistons. So 
Um, that was a long answer to a question about Andre Drummond's free throws. The, we took but, the opportunity yeah. and ran with, with <laughs> Andre Drummond. Um, we have another one here from at Kiefer John, K-E-E-F-F-E-R, John, J-O-H-N. How do you expect the Jazz to adjust offensively to Rudy Gobert and Joe Johnson when they come back? Um, since Gobert went down, which they've played eight games without him now, in that stretch, they have, I believe, the fourth best offense in the NBA. Um, averaging like 111 points per 100 possessions or something. In the games before Gobert went down, I'm pretty sure they were under 100 points per 100 possessions. I know they were like 28th or worse in the league. Um, it's they, they have just flipped in Gobert's absence. I actually think they can still be fine offensively when he gets back. I just think that they have to abandon the Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert pairing. It, it's just not know. working. One so of the Joe reasons Joe it works. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm all for that. Joe Johnson at the four, Jarebko at the four. Um, Cephalosha has played a lot of four in this this stretch. Such a good pickup for them. He's been amazing. Um, one of the reasons that Favors and Gobert worked for the last two seasons is those lineups would have three guys who could shoot: George Hill, G- Gordon Hayward, um, Joe Ingles, uh, Rodney Hood in there sometimes. Now they're playing lineups that have Favors, Gobert, and Rubio, and it's it's just death to have three guys to have three guys in a lineup who can't shoot in today's NBA. You're just asking to get shut down. Um, so I don't. I think they can do a lot of what they're already what they're currently doing with Gobert out if they just let him play in some of these space heavy lineups. Um, I would kind of like to expand upon the Jazz a little bit too. Um, and have my own little mailbag question. I don't have anything to add um, to yours, but then have it. yeah, go go for it. What is Rodney Hood? Is this version of Rodney Hood for real? He's averaging twenty point eight points on forty six point six percent shooting, forty six point two percent from three over his last eight appearances. During that time, he sh- he's shooting forty five point eight percent on pull up threes, and the Jazz are scoring one hundred and fifteen points per one hundred possessions when he's in the game. His defense has still been bunk. If we look at NBA maps, yeah, he defensive hasn't been very good. saved. Can you guess where he ranks? I think I might have told you this earlier today. Yeah, you did tell me, and I, I honestly don't remember, but it was near the bottom. He ranks 451st out of 456 players in NBA maps, oh. defensive point saved. He's he's just, from watching, and I, I watch more of the Jazz than I think I would and maybe should because I podcast with you, and I'm trying to just <laughs> make sure that I, I'm saying – stuff that actually holds weight but he's just he gets foul happy when he's guarding pick and rolls and he's been absolutely destroyed when having to close out or just getting torched by spot up shooters those are the problems i've just noticed with him and i was writing about this earlier today he just seems like a broken unfinished chris middleton where he's gonna flash like some kind of playmaking off the bounce and really efficient shot making on the ball and off the ball and maybe some really good defense but it's never all at once it's always just like separate and and kind of partitioned yeah, I like the Chris Middleton comp, and you've you've brought it up before. I've been waiting for him to turn into Michael Red, basically. Damn, that's the that's day a, they. That's a comp. I would, they've. I, I've been waiting. I was going to say basically since the day they drafted him, and at this point, it's probably time for me to let it go. Um, but I I do think there is something to the way that he's playing now. Part of it is Quinn Snyder making him a sixth man and and being able to play against bench units. He, he's just feasting on bench defenses right now. 
The pull-up shooting, I mentioned this during their last game, and I, I just I didn't even want to look up the numbers because I didn't want to ruin my own euphoria during that Bucks game. Um, <laughs> but I just that his step back pull-up three is so pretty. And it's been going in a lot. Obviously, you just cited the numbers on his pull-up shooting. Um, Over lately. eight games, yeah. Just... So even yeah, even if he cools off a little bit, which seems almost inevitable, um, if he can if he can keep those percentages at around forty, and he continues to take around eight or nine threes per game, um, I think Utah's bench is going to continue to be really stout offensively. Um, and and of course that will help with Rudy Gobert coming back too, if he continues to shoot the way that he does. My, my overall answer to John, though, um, you got to play Gobert with shooters. <laughs> it's, it's just not going to work otherwise. Um, and, and I'm interested to see, though, maybe if you just kind of, I don't want to say deviate from the Ricky Rubio, Rudy Gobert pick-and-roll combo, but just try out a bunch of different does, ones. Like I think you can not get, work. I think you can get away with, like trying Rodney Hood and Joe Ingles and, and even Joe I, Johnson more as his pick and roll partner. I actually said that um, in maybe the first or second game he was out because all of a sudden they were running Ricky Rubio favors pick and rolls and they were working really well. Uh, favors is he, he's much better at catching the low sort of pocket bounce passes that Rubio throws and guys like Ingles and Hood and Johnson, who you just mentioned, who played with Gobert for a little bit longer they know how to run pick and roll with him. So I don't know if it makes you predictable to like compartmentalize your pick and roll like that. But yeah, I would absolutely say that other guys should be the ones running pick and roll with him. Um, uh, I have a, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I have You've a, go for it. All right. I have a question from at Austin Isaac's zone, uh, his actual handle, his actual name on Twitter is Shooter, and the handle is again at Austin Isaac, S O H N. I don't know if that's Isaac Sohn is his actual last name, but anyway, Shooter has asked us what caused Kyle Kuzma to slip, and what's his NBA ceiling. Um, I his eight. I mean, does he mean like in the draft? I assume that's what he means. Oh, I I actually thought that he was talking about um because he's been playing. Better lately, right? Offensively, he's been he's been just good all year, pretty much. Yeah, like he's not shooting. Yeah, I guess he must have meant in the draft. I have no idea what caused him to slip. He's a six nine combo forward. You would think that that would hold. Age is the only thing I can think of, which is generally, I mean, I think a lot of general managers would cite that as the only reason for a lot of guys slipping. I'm not. I don't know if did anyone think that he was going to be like a good playmaker too. I, I don't know if it was like that coming into the draft. Was hey Kyle Kuzma is going to be this really like average or yeah score for himself kind of right. create for himself. I should say. Um, well, no, I was going to say he's he seems like he's been even though his assist numbers don't show it that he can sometimes be serviceable as a passer and he kind of falls in and out of these tunnel vision stints with the Lakers and maybe that's what people saw and maybe it's his NBA ceiling to me. I don't know if this was a pro comparison that came up during the draft, but he, to me, he might seem kind of like a more spindly Tobias Harris. This combo forward was not going to do yeah. much for you on defense, That's and maybe, maybe doesn't ever. Even though I think he might, I think his ceiling is probably higher as a passer. He's not going to be the guy that you have as your primary playmaker ever or run point forward um, 
out of anything other than necessity, but he's going to get you buckets from all different spots on the floor, and he can work on or off the ball. That that would be where I would put him. Is it crazy for me to think he has a little bit of like young Rudy Gay in him? No, I could see that too. Because that's kind of what I've been thinking the last couple times I've watched him. Um, he pulls up for three a little bit more, I think, than than Rudy Go- Gay did early. Although I'm looking at Rudy Gay's numbers now. I just pulled them up, and he actually shot quite a bit of threes early on too. So maybe there is even that going on. Um, I, I, miss, I, I think the only reason you could cite for him slipping would be his age. Um, and I missed the boat on him. I, he, he's been a lot better than I expected. Um, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Rudy Gay for him. Really quick on this one. Hey, how are you? At I'm quite all right. What's the problem with the clips? <laughs> he wants to know. I'm just going to say. I saw that one too. I'm just going to say they don't. They're injured one. Like, Injuries would be my answer, yeah. Uh, the other thing is is that they never projected as the least bit versatile on the perimeter. Like their ring rota- their wing rotation is a joke. If you're not gonna rely on Sundarius Thornwell, Danilo Gallinari is instantly your most switchable defender. Maybe Wesley Johnson, but in terms of playable assets, Danilo Gallinari would be your most switchable defender, and he's currently on the shelf. Yeah, not having uh, m- I agree with that totally. Um, and they're, now they're already at a point where they have to rely on Sundarius Thornwell for heavy minutes. Who's a, I mean, he's a solid player, but he's a second-round pick, and he's a rookie. So I really like what he tough. does defensively, though. I feel like he could be what Wes Johnson was supposed to be, minus yeah. the, the, the star ceiling that was attached to his draft spot, obviously. And I, I would just – I mean, lineups that had Gallinari and Beverly in them were really good. And it was a big reason for the Clippers' hot start. And um, I, I think it's pretty easy and it's pretty fair to just cite injuries with them. I, I think they were, I, I think they were absolutely going to compete for a playoff spot they before did, they lost everybody. When they um, started the season, well, what did they start the season? They were four and one. They had the league's best defense by a mile. They looked ridiculous. Over five games, they just looked absolutely yeah. absurd. We have one from James8307. That's his handle. And he's got a Houston Rockets logo as his uh, avatar. So His question's about the Spurs then? <laughs> Who is your MVP? And I, I don't think there's any question at this point. It has to be James Harden. Yep, absolutely. I don't know. Um, just the body of work he did with Chris Paul out. Incredible. I, I actually did a I, – I um made a little table earlier. I don't know if you saw it, but I took – the team leader, I, I looked up the leader for every team in points plus points generated by assists. Um, I'm going to find it here real quick. Bear with me. Okay, here it is. The Rockets have scored 2,157 points this season as a team. Harden has scored himself 596. He's generated another 455 through his assists for a total of 1,051 that is 48.7% of the Rockets' total points this season have come from him. Wait, um, what was that number again? 48.7% have come from either he scored them himself or he assisted on the bucket. And he's basically doing what he did last year again, which is it's crazy. absurd. Um, side note, LeBron is at 45.1%. That was going to lead is... me to my own 
impromptu mailbag question. Who's your runner-up for MVP? I was going to say, um, there are other guys that I would have in the conversation. I think I think Harden is a clear number one. Yes. I think LeBron has he he has at least an argument. I, I'm still not ready to discard Giannis. Maybe if Milwaukee runs off a few wins, um, it, it would be it would be hard to, for me to take him seriously with their record right now. Um, and I I actually think despite they've they've lost a couple games here in the last few, but I still think Kyrie Irving is sort of on the fringe of the discussion. Al Horford should get more votes than him. He. I think he was absolutely their better, their best player for the first like ten to fifteen games of the season. I, I think Irving's been ridiculous lately, though. Do you know who would be my runner-up pick? And I, a lot of it probably has to do with the Cavaliers' onset struggles for why it's not LeBron. It could very easily uh, become LeBron. Stephen Curry. Yeah, he's got to be in there too. I should have mentioned him. That's just, a good point. His value to the what's clearly the league's best team uh, just i mean move beyond record i know the celtics have been fire with the exception of that was a, that loss to the pistons uh i just he's to me he's the most valuable player on that team and the numbers he's putting up are still solid and when you kind of look at the on off court numbers they the warriors outscore if you take any player out of the lineup they still outscore opponents by at least 9.9 points per 100 possession except for when it's Stephen Curry who leaves the lineup. And they're still a plus 5.1 points per 100 possessions. But the gap between him and like the next closest guy is Livingston at 9.9. That 4.8 gap is just like that's that's absurd. That's better than – that 4.8 net rating gap is better than 26 of the league's team's actual net rating. So it's just I, – I understand there's room for the Warriors to fall because they're so dominant – but this is the second year in a row that this has happened. It was the same story last year, I, I believe. So I just I, it's hard for me to kind of ignore him in that conversation. I don't think he'll have the kind of anecdotal support to surpass James Harden. I think LeBron James and even Giannis would have a stronger opportunity there, someone from the Celtics as well. But if, if I was going to vote for my runner-up right now, it, it would be him. And this is absolutely the same case, by the way, as it was last year. The Warriors were a net plus per 100 possessions with everyone off the court last year. But Draymond Green, without him, that was their second lowest net rating at plus 5.6. Stephen Curry, without him, that was their lowest net rating at plus 1. So it's just I, the, his value to this team just by him being on the court, court and what he does to defenses with his crazy shot selection and even his understated playmaking, it's it, it's absolutely become overlooked to me in large part because he had that two-year run, so there's kind of voter fatigue or, or attention fatigue, but also you have Kevin Durant there now, so people just automatically kind of write him off from the conversation. Yeah, I should have mentioned him too. Obviously, he is overlooked because I overlooked him just now. Um, Live this proof. Couple... <laughs> this is a couple days old, but I don't think the Warriors have played since I tweeted this. Um, but Stephen Curry, when Kevin Durant is on the floor, is averaging 23.8 points per 36 minutes with a 61 true shooting percentage. When Kevin Durant is off the floor, Stephen Curry is averaging 42.1 points per 36 minutes with a 71 true shooting percentage. Holy moly. <laughs> and that's not like a minuscule sample size because Kevin Durant has missed a few games lately. Um, so yeah, he's just been insane this season and for, for like the first 10 games, he was very close to the level he was at that 
a couple years ago when he had the greatest offensive season ever. Um, and there, uh, and and Joe Lacob didn't want to offer him max contract yeah, at the start. Unbelievable. <laughs> Ruskin Lee Howard. All right. Um, R u s k i n l e e Howard. Uh, I'm not really familiar with what he's asking, so maybe hopefully you are. Do you think Toronto's culture reset has been successful thus far? They've got some good win, but not okay. They've got some good wins and not good losses. They're young guys of bright futures, but it still feel like they've they've plateaued in the East. What do you think they should do moving forward? Is it? Uh, would, I don't really know about a culture yeah, reset. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say like a tactical reset. I feel comfortable with the second part of the question. Um, they're young guys. Like I, they have a they have a two or three guys that I really like. Um, Podol has been good. I don't know, but he's been way better than I expected. I mean, he wasn't even supposed to play the first couple months of the season. Yeah, I was shocked at how quickly he returned. Um, I still Nogueira is he? He's still like twenty five or younger, isn't he? He's and he's gone. he's unbelievable defensively. Uh, See, what they too? Yeah, he's been better, a lot better this season than he was last season. Um, they're one of these teams that seems to have managed the the tightrope act where you continue to compete with the vets that you have while having sort of like a pseudo rebuild going on in the background. So I think what they do moving forward is just continue to push as far as you can in the Eastern conference with this current core. And once they sort of age out of, uh, Eastern conference contention, you you basically have a, a backup plan already in place. Um, if two or three of those young guys hit, uh, Norman Powell, takes a leap on takes a leap uh, Delon Wrights maybe takes a leap when he comes back um, you could suddenly have something in sort of the next iteration of Raptors basketball so I think it's basically just keep doing what you're doing yeah and you wait for you, you change what you can change and uh, they've already done that with kind of their offensive strategy uh, if you look last year 59.7 percent of their shots roughly came inside three feet or from like three-point range this year 68 percent of their looks are coming inside three feet and from three-point range so they've improved their shot profile a great deal i think that makes a huge difference right and the other thing that i think you look for is they have these i don't know if you can call any of them top end assets norman powell would still be one he's now poison pill because of his extension and it seems like we've been waiting for him to break out forever it's to me like I, i completely forget that he's only in his third year but that like rookie year performance by him kind of sabotaged his ceiling because now it's like oh it's been two years since that what is he going to turn into Uh, but you have assets to cobble together kind of a blockbuster offer and take advantage of a situation that comes along and maybe it's that marcus all situation not yeah that was an interesting idea not where you can necessarily steal him but you have the mid to maybe high-end assets to get in a conversation for an impact player like that and and so it's exactly what you said. Keep plugging away until the either some of these young guys just burst, which they might, uh, or that right trade comes along, which it also might, because they position themselves to certainly be part of a conversation. I mean, even they were. I, we might have talked about this in the pod, or maybe I talked about it off air over the off season. But if the Pelicans were going to end up just cutting bait with Demarcus Cousins this year because they imploded, and it doesn't look like they will, like the Raptors could have put together a similar package that they would for Gasol. So like those are the. That's not obviously a realistic option but that's what they need to be on the lookout for and i think it's 
they have the assets to, to actually be on the lookout for something like that without it sounding completely far-fetched. You never know what's going to arise. I think we could sit here and predict some of the next players that might reach the trade block. We could say Goran Dragic. We could say Marcus All at this point. We could say really whoever. But there's just going to be these unknown factors. No one realized that Kyrie Irving was going to become available this summer, and look what happened there. Yeah, I'm with you. And like I said, I, I like that uh, Marcus Gasol one that you cooked up over the course of the show. We have a few more to hit. Uh, maybe we can do these ones a little quicker than we've done the last few, and then I have a special one for you at the end. Oh, man, I'm excited. <laughs> uh, Chris Davis, at K-R-I-S-T-E-N-D-E-I-O-N, says, what's up with CP3 not shooting well? Everything else is beautiful uh, except for that. I... M- my only answer for that is it's it's super early. He's coming off an injury. He'll be fine. And he's just – you can kind of tell um, when you watch him that it's just – it's not a role that he's used to. He's, he's off the Yeah, ball. that'll take some time too. Right, yeah. a little bit more. Um, I think he's probably trying a little bit too hard to cut out like his long two-pointers. Uh, just look at – so last year, 21% – of his shots came, or actually, let me do a total. So about forty-seven point one percent of his shots came between ten feet and inside the three-point line. Forty-seven point one percent this year. That's yeah, that's twenty percent between ten feet and inside the three-point line. Like that's a big drop off. And now fifty-two percent of his shots are coming from beyond the arc. Like it just takes time to adjust to that different distribution. And like you said, he missed a lot of the season. He's learning how to play alongside James Harden. And I, I don't necessarily know. I, I don't think that he has completely grasped how to kind of meander between on and, and on and off ball roll mid game. So I, I don't think there's anything to be worried about, but I, the Rockets are still winning. They've, they put up some nice yeah. victories and I, I personally think he'll be fine. That's a good point though. That that is a pretty drastic change um, in his shot. Profile. I didn't think. I know that that's what the Rockets are all about. I did not see it being that stark. So okay, we're talking five games compared to his sixty-one appearances last year. But like, I don't like even if we just looked at if if I run this for the last five years, like his shot distribution between ten feet and inside the three-point line is still going to be almost forty percent. It's going to be closer to forty-five percent, and now all of a sudden you're just cutting it down to 20% in total. Which yeah, that's a, that's a huge change, yeah. Um, with the exception of tonight versus the Pistons, the Celtics are playing <laughs> elite defense but are having trouble scoring, especially with the second unit. What changes to the roster or rotation do you see helping them achieve a more balanced office? That's from Chris Cocozella at, K, or at C-O-K-E-S 311. Um, I'll let you take this one first. Are we going to see changes to the roster? I know a lot of people. They I was going to say no. Yeah, they still kind of have a a lot of like trade assets, but to to me, it seems like their some of their offense just shows the symptoms of there being a lot of youth and and inexperience uh, on the roster. Not a ton of their shots are coming at the rim, and they're shooting less than fifty nine percent inside three feet of the hoop. It's the second worst mark in the league ahead of only the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, they're about league average from three-point range, and that's probably a bit of, of a problem for them because you, you don't have a ton of shooters necessarily on this team. Jason Tatum has far and away exceeded expectations. 
Uh, Kyrie Irving's been a little bit down this year, but who's the proven marksman on their team? And if Kyrie Irving's not going to shoot 37 38% from beyond the arc, who's going to do it for you? Can you count on Tatum to do it all year? And uh, can you count on Jalen Brown to hover above 40-plus percent? Uh, Al Horford to do the same. Uh, I think you need Kyrie Irving to probably buoy his. Uh, he was at 36.5% when I checked before their game against the Pistons tonight, which is fine. But if you're going to be just an average three-point shooting team and then not really finish well around the rim, that's not going to bode too well for you offensively. But the trade-off kind of is you're going to have – they have the league's best defense, and it looks like they kind of have the – the switchy personnel and, and the discipline and just the inspired effort from Kyrie Irving to come close to sustaining that. And I don't I don't necessarily know that you tinker with that model and unless the the right opportunity comes along. I know the Thunder are kinda of gaining ground in the defensive rating department. Same with the Portland Trailblazers who have been absolutely spectacular on that end this year. But I they would there would need to be like a a very high end, close to superstar like sized wing who enters the market trade market, I think, for them to kind of pounce on any offer. It seems a lot of people want them to go after a big guy, but I don't necessarily know that a big man is, is what they need. They're at this point trying to compete with the Cavs and the Warriors, and I just don't think that's the path to necessarily evening the score with either of them. Yeah, I think, obviously, this would have been a much different team if Gordon Hayward was playing. Um, if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were even – smaller roles maybe they're they're slightly more efficient um i think i'm with you I, I think you've just stand pat basically i this this um you know make lemonade out of lemons type of situation you get extra experience from jalen brown and jason tatum because of this injury um anytime the guy who's fourth on your team in shots per game is shooting 31 percent from the field it's it's going to be hard to sustain a, a really solid offense but that's marcus smart isn't a guy that you can take out of the rotation because he's obviously a huge part of that defense. Um, so in answer to the question, I, I think you just, and I, I, and I used the same answer with another one earlier, but you just keep doing what you're doing. Um, I think they'll be fine with organic growth. When, when Hayward went, went down, nobody expected him to be this good. So they're, they're already playing sort of above projections. Um, to me, this is, this is a season that's going to pay off a year or two down the road. Two quick when, things on the Celtics too. Mm-hmm. One, Devin Booker is averaging more potential assists per game than Kyrie Irving. Well, that's surprising. Which I found extremely fascinating, even given how much the Suns now rely uh, on Devin Booker. And this should also come. And how from... much Boston relies on Horford's passing, too. Right. Um, and also, the, the Celtics are running basically a top 10 offense when Kyrie Irving is on the floor, which is good because he's your starting point guard, and at least you could point to that. And again, we had we all had questions whether Kyrie Irving could kind of be the fulcrum of that top-tier offense without LeBron, though certainly playing with Al Horford helps. The other thing with them is, are they really positioned to make a trade this year? What is their, where is their salary matching? Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, Kyrie Irving, untouchable. I don't know who would trade for Gordon Hayward anyway at this point. And so their fourth highest paid player, can you tell me who it is? No. Jason Tatum at five point oh, wow. six million. 
So you have to co- if you were going to go after someone of real consequence, you probably have to cobble together three guys. And what three guys are you giving up? I mean, I was even going to suggest yeah, at one point. I don't think they're making another move either. Right. If the Bucks kind of just go, oh, this season is in the toilet, and they look to shop Middleton because they're worried about his contract when he opts out in 2019, and they have to pay Parker, and they're going to have to pay Brogdon and Bledsoe. Uh, the Celtics, um, they don't have the salary fodder just to give up. So, I mean, Middleton might be arguably one of the more gettable guys because he's making pennies. So you could trade Morris and Smart and a pick and, and almost get there. But then you still have to give up a third asset to really make the salaries work. So I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think they're well positioned to make a substantive trade. They technically could, but I, I just don't think they would be willing to give up all the pieces that it would take or the one big piece it would take yeah i'm with you i I think they should just continue to keep going with what they're doing um dennis j asks us if the thunder are a legit threat to the warriors i'm gonna i'm gonna give a quick no on this one um (laughs) that's a bold question to ask uh this these three maybe they'll get it together their net rating is still like comfortably better than what their record would suggest um they just don't fit I, I think the way they would fit together better those three paul george carmel anthony and russell westbrook is if you could somehow get westbrook to take a back seat in terms of shots when he leads the team in shots okay he's two and ten this season i saw you tweet but that there's just no way anybody could talk him into that at, at this point in his career it's become abundantly clear that that's not going to happen um so yeah i'm going to go with the no on that one here's Something that was is just leads me to believe that they're a lot better than they actually are. They've gotten to ten crunch time games, and I'm using just the final five minutes. No team is trailing by more than five mm-hmm. points. They're one in nine in those situations, and they just seem too good for that to continue. I know there's a balance that needs to be struck, and maybe won't be struck between Melo, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook, and it certainly doesn't help that of those three Russell Westbrook wow it sounded like I had a Russell Westbrook uh, <laughs> Elmer Fudd yeah I was doing my Elmer Fudd impression Russell Westbrook is shooting 40% in the clutch this season and that's the highest of the Paul George Carmelo Anthony Russell their, Westbrook trio their clutch numbers are crazy it's like yeah. every every rotation player has a clutch net rating of like minus 30 or worse their their team clutch net rating is negative 42.2 points per 100 possessions and a lot, and maybe I think you can use that as evidence that they don't really fit together. I, I think there's a lot of uh, sort of head scratching in those final minutes because they don't really know who the alpha is. Um, it's sort of it. It's it's been a your turn, my turn offense for most of the season. I think that gets even worse in those crunch time minutes. Um, one other thing on the Thunder, Samus Fandiari tweeted this out today. They. <laughs> They've actually, they're actually a- averaging fewer passes per game this year than they did last year, and they've been dead last in the league for the last like two or three seasons. Um, and to get all three of those guys involved, you're going to have to pass the ball a little bit, or to get them get them involved in the way they should be involved. They're they also lead the league in isolation by a mile. They're <laughs> thirteen. Or so. Does it say? Do you have their points per possession on that pulled up too? Yeah. Uh, their thir- their 13% of their offensive possessions have been dedicated to isolation. The Houston Rockets are second with 11.8. And bear in mind that the Rockets amazing. have spent most of this season being a one-star show with James Harden. The Thunder are shooting 
41.9% on isolations, 0.91 points per 100 possessions. That's the 63rd percentile, which isn't terrible, but that's just too much isolation. And you talked about yeah. there, and they're not getting, they don't turn the ball over particularly much in those situations, but they're not getting to a lot to the line a lot. 10% of their isolation possessions are ending in free throws, and that's the fifth worst mark in the league. And the other thing that I'd like to point out is last year's team, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers led the league in isolation. 11.9% of their plays uh, were dedicated to those possessions. So the Thunder at 13%, that's a kind of a wide margin of that. And then yeah, I can go bad. back to 2015, 2016, the Lakers led the league in isolation, and that was 10.6% of their plays. So this is wow. that's a lot of isolation. And that's yeah. kind of what happens when you bring together these three ISO-heavy scorers. All of them ranked, I believe, in the top 12 of isolation possessions per game last year but i thought i did think there was going to be closer to a seamless fit on offense than there has but i i I honestly still have faith the one thing that could obviously derail it and i don't know how many times i'm going to say obviously in this podcast but russell westbrook is not a system or off-ball point guard and to ask him to be that is probably impossible i do think he has a real potential as like this cutter he seemed to make some nice plays when he's moving off the ball but he doesn't move off the ball enough it just seems like he's standing around when he's i also think placed i also think he could average like 12 or 13 assists a game just on driving kicks to those two guys yeah 15 even if that, that's what, if yeah. i was him that's what i would just go assist hunting that would be yeah how he kind of he did go assist hunting at points of games last year and you could see he would get mad when like andre roberson would would miss yeah. a three or like when Samaj Christie would miss a three. So there was a really again. funny, uh, do you, do you follow Damon Rangula on Twitter? I do. He's hysterical. Uh, did you see his tweet about, uh, Westbrook and George? It was so funny. He no, just posted a picture of Andre Roberson. Oh yes. I did. <laughs> all he said was, this is what Russ sees, um, when he looks at Paul George and I, I just died. Um, but yeah, we have one more before I get to my special question that I hope I didn't uh, overhype. Nick Tolman says, do you think Lonzo will improve throughout the year or is he basically playing at the, the best level we'll see from him? Um, really, the only thing that needs improvement is the shooting. I, I mean, will he continue to shoot at historically bad levels? Um, I'm going to lean towards No. But I am I'm certainly more concerned about the shot, obviously, than I was before the season started. I, I always kind of leaned on the Kevin Martin comparison. Uh, I understood why people were concerned about his form and um, maybe an inability to get it off against NBA defenders because they could kind of plan for as he swept it in front of his face, maybe they just put their hand there. Um, but I'm I, like I said, I'm more concerned than I was before. I think he'll probably improve a little bit over the course of the season. I'm not one of those guys who thinks you should completely change your shot at this point in your career. Um, I, I, I've always been like a repetition over form kind of guy. I, Reggie Miller was the ultimate example for me. His his shot is very much not textbook, but he's one of the greatest shooters ever. Anyway, long-winded answer. I think he'll get a little bit better, but I am more concerned than I was. I'm I'm completely I'm completely there with you. And he just a lot of it seems to be I think his percentages will go up because they can't they can't really go anywhere but up. And so much of this seems to have to do with his lack of selfishness 
when he does have the ball in his hands, he seems like he's looking to make passes too much. Um, even just out of the pick and roll, his score frequency is below 27%, and his foul free, free throw frequency is below 5%. And there are only a couple players in the league who, who match those baseboard low totals, and I don't think you look at any of them as particularly good. One of them is Donovan Don is almost Donovan Mitchell, by the way. His score frequency is a little bit higher out of the pick and roll. You're talking about like Patty Mills level. He's the guy who's most comparable um, to balls. Th- those two numbers. I I just think he he has the he's he's already a good passer. Even though we make fun of how some of his assists were counted during his one of his most recent triple doubles, uh, and he's getting defensive rebounds almost by design. But he's been surprisingly good on the defensive end, and I I just think the offense is going to come. His his jumper is ugly, and maybe it doesn't come close to league average with his current form, but I don't think he's going to be this historically bad shooter for the entire year, and I think we'll see more better games as he get more gets more reps under him. I'm with you. Um, are you ready for the this, this super special question I'm that just, I probably overhyped at this yeah, point? Yeah, I'm just hoping it doesn't suck. You know? <laughs> this one came in via text from my wife. Uh, one room over she says shout out Shelby yeah shout out Shelby when is there going to be a wags edition of the hardwood Knox podcast first of all I, I just can't believe she referred to herself as a wag I think I just explained to her what that means like a couple days ago um, your wife has been studying up ie sitting in the same room as you while watching while you watch basketball and listening to you gush over Ben Simmons and Joe Ingles I can't believe she's so much. I can't believe she referred to herself as a wag. She deserves like a better title than that. I've always yeah. that's like a derogatory title. Shelby's Does, like a. Can we just call her a saint? Yeah, that's better. <laughs> um, I Does could, Ange watch with you? No, and that's what I was going to say. Is we could try and get uh, Angela, who's my fiance, uh, on the podcast. I feel like she would be super shy because she's <laughs> I've was talking about this to someone else. She's shy around my family. She's also shy around her own family. So around the holidays it kills oh, wow. me. I'm like this obnoxious like a hole. <laughs> um and like what am I supposed to be around her family when she doesn't talk? So I just like sit there tight lipped. And she doesn't she's not a big basketballer. She is very understanding when it comes to my schedule and how many hours I work. And sometimes she will be in the room when I'm watching games, but she has no interest in it other than to change up her top five players every year. It used to be <laughs> Nate Robinson was atop it. J.R. Smith was there for a little bit. Right now, Stephen Curry is her is her favorite player. But I, I could see if she's she's into it, but I can guarantee because she's not interested the least bit in basketball that Shelby should be able, she's been hanging out with you of all people, she should be able to <laughs> destroy her. I think she's, I think Shelby's talking a bigger game. Um, I bet you we'll if I if, asked Angela who we'll Ben Simmons she is, listened. she wouldn't know who it was. So I think. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I'm I'm curious to see if she'll call me on what I just said because uh, that'll be a good test for whether or not she actually listens to our amazing podcast. Um, that I think wraps us up. I don't have any more questions on any of our mailbag tweets. Um, if you want to talk to us about any of this or anything else that we talked about over the course of this episode you can find dan favalli on twitter at uh d-a-n-f-a-v-a-l-e i'm at andrew d bailey the show is at hardwood knox um and like dan said at the beginning of this episode we are currently um 
doing a little contest. You should go check out the shop link on nbamath.com, and there's a ton of really cool T-shirts there. Um, sorry. I've, I've got another little nugget I'm going to share. But anyway, <laughs> if you take a screenshot that proves that you have rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast um, and, and send it to us on our Twitter or whatever, That'll be the evidence. That'll be, that'll be your entry into the contest, and you can pick out one of those shirts from NBA Math and get it for free. Um, they're really cool shirts. It's, it's really no work at all to get a free T-shirt, so it's absolutely worth doing. Make sure you do uh, leave us a review or rating. If you haven't, tell your friends about it. Get them to subscribe. Uh, that would really go a long way for us. Um, and until next time, we leave you with a shout-out to Kyle Anderson and Bino Udri. And this stat that I've spent the last like five minutes <laughs> trying to conjure up because I had to, <laughs> I had to get to on the player season finder, there were 7,835 results for this switch or this search. Um, since 1979-80, so this is in the three-point era, players who attempted at least 10 shots a game and qualified for the minutes per game leaderboard. Lonzo Ball's current field goal percentage ranks 7,824th out of 700 or 7,835. Marcus Smart's ranks 7,832nd. <laughs> Shout out Marcus Smart and Lonzo Ball. Until next time. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.